We all care deeply about our own issues, as it should be. But this fine country is bigger and more important than any of my personal issues or yours. To Planet Money from National Public Radio. I'm David Kestenbaum. And I'm Alex Bloomberg. Today is Friday, September 3rd, and that was Senator Alan Simpson of Wyoming, you heard at the top. Simpson is the co-chair of President Obama's Deficit Commission, and he was talking about the deficit and our growing national debt. And that, David, is the topic of today's show. Yep. Government spending, we try to get our heads around it. What is our government spending our money on? Can we afford to be spending as much money as we are? And if not, what can we do about it? But first, the famed, often imitated, never matched, and still unpatented planet money indicator brought to us by our very own J. Julius Goldstein. Hey, J. Julius. I was ready this time for the middle name bomb. How are you doing, <laughs> I'm good. I'm good. <laughs> Today's planet money indicator, 67,000. That's how many jobs the private sector added in August, according to the government's monthly jobs report that came out this morning. Now, I believe you said added, and that's going to be better than the private sector losing jobs. And I know it's better than what experts were expecting. It is better. But, you know, experts were expecting really an awful, awful jobs report. And instead, what we have is a report that basically shows a jobs market that's stuck. Uh, the unemployment rate actually ticked up a tiny bit. It's been flat, essentially, at about 9.5% since May. And that's really high by historic standards. So yes, the private sector is adding jobs, but it's not adding that many jobs. Meanwhile, the government is cutting jobs, mainly temp jobs related to the census, which is you know winding down now. So I feel like if you look at the news coverage of the unemployment numbers, it's always like, oh, this is more than expected, it's less than expected. But the broader picture, right, is that it's just it's bad, right? Unemployment is stuck at 9.5%. It, it is bad. And, and for me, one useful sort of piece of context is to look both at the past several months and then compare that to the past few years. So if we do that, you see the economy has added about 700,000 jobs since January. But in the longer term, we've lost about 7 million jobs since the middle of 2007. So, you know, the broader picture is we had this really, really bad recession, and it's being followed now by this slow, grinding, uncertain recovery. So 700,000 jobs added versus 7 million jobs lost. That's, that's right. That's where we are. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks a lot, Jacob. Um, have a happy Labor Day. Thanks, guys. All right. Thank you, Jacob. All right. On to the U.S. budget. So in broad strokes, here is where we stand. This year, the government is projected to have a deficit of about a trillion dollars. So in other words, the government is going to bring in, through taxes and other things, roughly $2.5 trillion, and it's going to spend roughly $3.5 trillion. So it's spending a trillion more dollars than it's bringing in. That's a trillion dollar deficit. And after decades of deficits, the government has amassed a big pile of debt. I'm looking at the latest Treasury report here, monthly statement of the public debt of the United States, July 31st, 2010, total debt outstanding, $13.2 trillion. That is a large number. And it's only projected to grow over the years. Now, experts disagree about whether the current deficit, which is brought about largely by spending on the stimulus, is a good or a bad thing. But almost everyone you talk to agrees, over the long term, we're on an unsustainable course. We can't let our debt keep growing. One way to fix things is to cut government spending. That is easy to say, but what do you cut? 
That's the question. And for answers, we are going to be talking with you, our listeners. So a while ago on our blog, we put this question to you. What would you cut from the budget to help reduce the deficit? And we got a lot of great suggestions. So we decided to call some of you up and, and talk to you about your ideas. And then, even more fun, we called up actual budget experts and we said, what about that idea? Is that a good idea? What would it do? All right. So, ready to begin? Yep. All right. First up, let's talk to Mark Bellis. He is an aerospace engineer in Rowlett, Texas. Uh, well, I've thought for a long time that we need to zero out the budget for all projects related to manned space flight. So why, why do you think we need to do that? Well, I just don't think there's any uh, true mission for the, uh, the program anymore. Um, you know, like we're spending all this money to put people in space and study physiological effects of humans in space. And yet there's no method for actually having any long-term space flight other than a very crude sort of go to Mars for, I forget how many years that takes to go and come back. Uh-huh. So why spend the money now? when you could wait until you actually need and use that research sometime in the future. So so I'm sure if you run in aerospace circles, you must run into people who are working in the manned space flight program. What, do, you ever, do you ever talk to them about this? Uh, actually, I was talking to my boss today, and he was trying to talk to me, uh, explain to me why we need to go to, uh, to space. And basically, his argument is survival. Um, he and I are in the midst of watching Battlestar Galactica right now. And the whole object, if you, if you know what I'm talking about, this concept of you know, spreading the genetic, human genetic gene pool across the, the stars and ensuring the survival of the, of the species. Well, I can kind of see that, but not today. So, so what do you think, do you have any sense of like how much that would be if we did cut the men's, how much, how, what are we talking about? I'm going to, I don't know, but I'm going to guess the uh, NASA budget as a whole is probably somewhere in the 300 billion range. 300 billion. That's a guess. Let's put that number aside for a second. Alex, there's a problem with his logic. <laughs> okay, what is it? If you don't have human spaceflight, the alternative means is that we're going to send robots out to Mars and the other planets. And robots lead to Cylons, and we all know how that story ends. <laughs> Boom. <laughs> <laughs> Endless war with the robots. I, th- I see that this, this conversation has brought forth your inner physicist, hasn't it? You know, it actually reminds me a lot of when I used to cover NASA, and one Nobel Prize winner basically agreed and said the best thing we can do with the space station is to crash it into the ocean. But a lot of people love astronauts, and you know, what president... Going to the moon. Going to the moon. I mean, what president wants to be the one who, in their little mini bio for history, it says President Bloomberg killed the astronaut program. If elected, I vow to kill the dream of manned spaceflight. <laughs> We're going to stay here on Earth forever. <laughs> um, one other thing, Mark was wrong about his guest, $300 billion, and he actually realized that as we were talking. The budget for NASA is much smaller. Last year, we spent $18 billion funding NASA. But let's just leave aside the idea of whether sending men and women into space is a good idea. Would cutting the manned spaceflight program from the NASA budget actually help anything. So I asked Maya McGinnis this question. She runs a bipartisan think tank in Washington, D.C. called the Committee for a Responsible Federal Budget. And this is what she had to say about cutting manned spaceflight. It's unfortunately a drop in the bucket, but it's a good start. You've got to start somewhere. <laughs> uh, but unfortunately, instead of fixing our budget problem, it's closer to a rounding area. All right. So back to Mark. Uh, agreed. This doesn't balance the budget. Let, well, let me let me stop you. It doesn't come close to even beginning to balance the budget. Fair enough. You know, 
what was the name of that center that center that coined it <laughs> said, you know, a million here, a million there, and you start to talk in real money. Okay, Alex, so human space flight, cutting that, it's not going to get you much. What else do we got? All right, well, here's another suggestion from another listener, Jason Wagner, who lives in Alaska. He wrote in that he thought we should cut, quote, welfare and warfare. I called him up and asked him to elaborate. I mean, for easy one is, you know, Iraq and Afghanistan. Uh-huh. I mean, that's just, you know, if you have a patient coming to the hospital, first stop the bleeding, right? Right. You know, get, you know, immediate sort of stuff. And I, I personally, I'm former, former U.S. Marine um, and very patriotic, but I do not think that, that, you know, throwing money at the problem, you know, buying off, you know, they've been talking about the CIA as buying off, Af- you know, Afghanistan officials and stuff like that, mm-hmm. which was recently in the news. Cars I mean, all the stuff that we're doing to try and nation build is just, you know, not cutting it. Um, and then also, if we were to scale back on our the warfare side of things, we could have a smaller VA. Because right now, I don't know if there's an accountant who's starting to think about, like, you know, when I pay attention to the war coverage, because I have a brother in Afghanistan, when I pay attention to that, I think there's so many people coming home with no legs, with brain injuries. You know, um, the first Iraq war, they had the Gulf War syndrome, they didn't know what it was. That's all going to cost money. Mm-hmm. So Jason wasn't the only one of our listeners who mentioned cutting in uh, the defense portion of the budget here. Melissa Abernathy of Hoboken, New Jersey, she also proposed making permanent cuts in the military. And she actually said we should reduce the Department of Defense budget by half, spend half what we're spending now. But she had one stipulation. But I think that any cuts to the Defense Department need to be sensitive to um, minimizing job impacts, Uh you know, not laying off giant bases if they can help it, but making more surgical cuts. So you would you would want to cut three you would want to cut the defense part, department in half but not actually have to lay anybody off. Um, yes, wouldn't that be a nice world to live in? <laughs> I realize that sounds crazy. Uh, yeah, Maya McGinnis, our budget expert. Here's what she had to say. <laughs> well, I guess the way that you do that is by cutting everybody's salary in half, <laughs> right. because people shouldn't forget that it's when you talk about cutting these agencies, the big bulk of costs actually is for paying people's wages. It's for the people who are working there. Um, now, the Defense Department is huge, and there's a whole lot of savings that you can get out of the Defense Department, but I don't think there's any way I could possibly imagine that you could cut the budget in half and not lay anybody off and have any kind of kind of weapon systems left in place that most people would think would be um, the ones that you would still want there. So that's that's a tough challenge. So, Alex, the Congressional Budget Office estimates that for the wars in Afghanistan and Iraq, we will spend something like $300 billion over the next couple of years. So that is real money. And the Defense Department is by far the biggest single government department with a budget of well over $600 billion a year. That's more than the budgets of all the other government departments combined. And when I pressed Melissa Abernathy, you know, about how hard it would be to cut the military without actually cutting any jobs, she said, I know, I know. But isn't there a way to cut government spending by making government more efficient, figuring out what we do and don't need, getting rid of the waste, fraud and abuse? So I talked to another budget expert about that, a guy named Stan Collender, who runs a great blog called Capital Gains and Games. And he's been focusing on the federal budget for over 30 years. He served on the budget committees in both the House and the Senate. He's written entire textbooks on the federal budget. And he says, getting rid of waste, fraud, and abuse, he hears that a lot. It can all be done through waste, fraud, and abuse. That's just not true. (laughs) I mean, that's... well. That's only the case if you think that waste, fraud, and abuse is about a third of the budget. Remember, the deficit is a trillion dollars, total budget of $3.5 trillion. Um, and yes, you can define waste, fraud, and abuse so it includes a third of all spending, 
But typically what that means is you think that some things the government is doing are wasteful no matter, you know, just because they're doing it, even if they're doing it as efficiently as possible. So this is why cutting the budget is so difficult. That $3.5 trillion in spending, it's going to actual people. And if you cut it, those people get upset. Everybody's willing to cut somebody else's money. <laughs> All right. Um, I've spent, when, when I spend time in, in farm country, they don't understand why uh, cities like New York get mass transit operating assistance. Uh, why should they pay, they say, for a subway ride to be less expensive? It's an appropriate question. But then the people in New York and Philadelphia and elsewhere say, you know, we want to keep our mass transit operating assistance, but why is the, you know, government, you know, providing agricultural price supports and therefore making the cost of groceries higher than they should otherwise be? And, you know, this is maybe the most important thing we need to talk about, which is when we're talking about the federal government cutting spending, we're talking about the government stopping doing something. So, Alex, if you look at NASA, like politically, it's very difficult to cut NASA's budget because NASA has centers and laboratories in a lot of key states. So it's not just like it's one state which loses. It's there. It has broad based political support. Right. If you're a federal agency and you want to be really, really hard to cut from the budget, you spend money in as many places across the country as you can. And many agencies try to do that. But really, the king of doing this is the Department of Defense. They have contractors in every congressional district in the country. Um, And, you know, that, you know, cannot, you know, and should not be underestimated because those are people who will vote and will make contributions. So that's what makes cutting the Department of Defense difficult. It would require laying people off and it would require a lot of elected officials to commit political suicide. All right. But let's let's imagine we can cut the Defense Department entirely. Let's say there are no more wars. Say we cut NASA entirely. It turns out even if we cut everything that people have said here, we'd be getting rid of less than one-third of the overall budget, a third of that $3.5 trillion. And that's because what we've been talking about so far is just the discretionary portion of the budget. That's a third of the budget. There's this whole other part of the budget, which is called the non-discretionary part of the budget, and that accounts for two-thirds of that $3.5 trillion. All right, so let's just talk about this for a second. So when people think about the budget, a lot of times what they're thinking about is this discretionary portion, this smaller portion. So that's like, you know, the Department of Energy and Transportation, Agriculture, Education, commerce, NASA, and of course, the Defense Department, which is the biggest part. It's over half of the discretionary budget. But the discretionary budget itself is just a third of the entire budget. It's a third of that $3.5 trillion. The other two-thirds is the non-discretionary budget. This is also called mandatory or entitlement spending. The dollars the government is required by law to spend. So, for example, there's a law that says if you're laid off from your job, you get unemployment benefits. That is mandatory spending. If you qualify for unemployment, the government has to pay you. And it doesn't wait for Congress to approve that spending. It just cuts you a check. Same with Social Security, Medicaid, Medicare, agricultural subsidies, food stamps, also VA benefits. These are all entitlements that fall under the mandatory spending heading. There's also interest on the national debt, interest on that $13 trillion that we owe. That's also part of mandatory spending. I think a lot of people, when they think about entitlements, you know, might think about food stamps and welfare and aid to the poor. But a huge percentage of that mandatory spending is going to Social Security and Medicare, paying health care and living expenses for the nation's retirees. Now, the problem is health and living expenses of the nation's elderly are increasing at an alarming rate. There are more people retired. There are more people living longer and longer. And eventually, the costs of caring for all these people will swamp the budget. 
So when budget experts talk about the long-term threat to the nation, they are talking about two things, Social Security and Medicare. And that brings us to Ashby Rice, a listener from Westchester, Pennsylvania. Yes, well, I would start uh, with entitlement spending. And one of the places that I would go is Social Security. Uh, I'm currently uh, 60 years old. Uh, When I reach uh, 62, I can file for Social Security. After age 65, I can earn as much as I like and still collect my Social Security. And I don't think that's the way it was intended to work. You are that rare person. You're, you're saying, I would, I would like to take entitlements away from myself. Indeed. Uh, I think if I'm making $100,000 a year in total income, not just wages and pensions, but I mean investments and what have you, in those years, I shouldn't get a cent. So wait, Alex, I feel like that's an easy thing to say when you're just sort of chatting on the phone with a public radio reporter. But when he gets those Social Security checks, when he turns 65, is he really going to take the envelopes and send them back to the U.S. government saying, no, thanks, I don't need the money? Well, it's really complicated for Ashby because he has this you know, philosophical opposition to it. But like most of us, he has been paying into the Social Security trust fund for his entire working life. There's that little line on all of our paychecks, the money that gets taken out for Social Security. Will you be taking Social Security when you're, when you're 65? I haven't decided yet. And what, what, what goes into that decision? What's your thinking? Well, there's the, there, there's the principle that, that money of that sort should be available to those who really need it, and our country really can't afford to pay people like me mm-hmm. Social Security. I mean, it, I, it shouldn't afford to pay people like me Social Security. The flip of it is, part of me says, wait a minute, that's really my money to begin with. So there's a bit of an internal conflict there, principle versus practicality, and I'm sure my wife will have something to say about what we wind up doing around this. Cause all these little deals go down with little consequences. We share. share. So this year, we're going to try and look at the budget in more detail, and we're going to examine the role government has in our lives. We're going to be diving into the Medicare and Social Security trust fund issues, also looking at earmarks and the ways the U.S. government subsidizes our lives in ways that you see and ways that are harder to see. And in our story meetings, we've been talking about it as like a theme that we're going to be covering this year, G, capital G for government. Because in the GDP formula, it's G government plus consumer spending plus. So G stands for government. Right. We're very excited about digging into all this. But for now, we have some really cool budget graphics on our blog, npr.org slash money, as well as a link to the Committee for a Responsible Federal Budget, where you can choose your own items to cut and see what the impact is on the debt. And we are looking for more stories from you. This time, we're looking for stories of you getting money from the government. Does the government pay you for something? Do you do business with the government? We want to hear about it. Send us those stories, plus your thoughts, questions, and comments to planetmoney at npr.org or on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash planetmoney. I'm Alex Bloomberg. And I'm David Kestenbaum. Thank you for listening. I try to see things your way. I try to see things your way. I try to see things your way.